(laughs) (laughs) So everybody, you are hearing some laughter this week that is not ours. We are joined for our intro today by a couple of special guests. We are going to have them introduce ourselves. So go ahead and tell us who you are. Okay. um, I am Elizabeth Grace and I am one half of Piper Rain. I am the Piper half. I am Michelle Lynn and I am Rain, the other half. Welcome, you guys. Yeah, welcome to Faded Me. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Piper and Rain. I'm going to call you by your formal names. Um, (laughs) Piper and Rain join us because they uh, made a very generous donation to Kennedy Ryan's Lift for Autism uh, auction, where Jen and I offered up an episode of Faded Mates where you could basically choose the topic. And they chose, we we want you to talk. So <laughs> we were like, these so are our said, favorite kind of people. Why don't you, we think we like you. You can come on and hang out, <laughs> uh, hang out with us for a little bit. Um, but I just want to shout out Lift for Autism, which is a uh, great, great cause. Um, it's Authors for Autism Awareness. Um, every year, Kennedy Ryan, who is an autism mom, sponsors this, uh, this auction with Culture City. And this year, or... Last year, uh, whenever it was, it wasn't this, it was this year, it was March of this year. Um, (laughs) The proceeds were designated to families um, that were having trouble in the face of COVID 19. So, families that weren't able to get the care and the supports that they needed because we were in a pandemic. Thank you, Piper and Rain, for making such a good, uh, generous donation to such an important cause. We're excited to finally, months later, do this. Welcome to Faded Mates, everyone. I'm Jennifer Prokop, a romance reader and editor, and this is... I'm Sarah McLean. I read romance novels and I write them. I'm being a, I'm doing a real hard Vanna White today, everybody. You are There's a lot like of the people. greatest <laughs> cruise director. You know, 20, 20 some years in a middle school classroom. You put enough people oh. in front of me and I will start hurting them. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so, Piper and Rain, why don't you tell us about, for, you know what we love hearing actually is how people became romance readers. And then we would love to hear about how you two became romance writers. Okay, um, I didn't really, I actually grew up reading a lot of horror, um, a lot of Stephen King, um, and I, I read, I grew up, my mom, she quit smoking when I was probably about 12 or 13, and she went on a deep dive on Harlequins, like, just to occupy herself. Well, what else are you going to do? Yes. You have and to I can remember, <laughs> it seems great, mm-hmm. I, I'm a fan. I can remember seeing them and like as a little girl I thought like oh these are so like oh my gosh mom you know and um and I was you know a little probably a little judgmental but I mean I was I was 12 and um I would say I would read some you know some of the like Oprah book clubs and things like that and I found that the ones I was most drawn to was the ones that had sort of like a, a b plot of romance to them and those were the ones that I enjoyed the most and I think what really did it for me, to be honest, was I was pregnant um, with uh, my daughter and I started reading Twilight. I just saw a poster at the bookstore, you know, and I was like, oh, I keep seeing this. I'll, I guess I'll pick it up. And then it was just sort of like, like the spiral down. And then I went into um, the spiral up. Yes, true, true. I went into all the Anne Stewart's from there, and I read pretty much everything Anne Stewart ever wrote. Imagine going from Twilight to Anne Stewart. What a glorious <laughs> shift. I know. 
<laughs> but there was so much to discover. That's the thing, right? There's just, there was so, and you know, um, indie was starting to sort of become a thing then, and, and, you know, they were doing some interesting things. So that's how I really got into romance. And then I found like, cause for a few years I'd kind of been off reading. Like I just wasn't enjoying it as much as I used to. And yeah, when I started reading romance again, that was really lit the fire under me. Yeah. You were like, look, the romance is the A plot. Yes, yes exactly. <laughs> and what about you, Rain? I think it was my aunt more that did it more. My aunt, um, she was really big into like Harlequin and romance, and like she would always come to visit every summer. They live in Alaska, and like she'd come down. And she'd always have all these books, and like so. Then once I was in high school, I kind of would fish through them and read them a little bit, and then I got definitely away. Once I went to college, I kind of didn't read as much as I you know do now for sure. And then kind of the same thing as what Piper said, like when the indie movement kind of came, Fifty Shades kind of came, it kind of redid all that. And my kids were a little older at that point. So I was able to like take time and read and not, I had twins. So like not be changing oh diapers. So <laughs> yeah. So then it just kind of then went right from there. Like just like came so from there. how did the two of you happen then? We met at our first signing back in um, 2013, early 2013. Yeah. Oh, wow. That was like a magic year. People yes. Got, like, yeah, yes. Yeah. For everybody mm-hmm. who started. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so we were at our first signing. Um, we shared an editor. We had the same editor at the time. And she introduced us. And um, we just kind of hit it off. I always say, I seem to get along really well with Chicago people. I don't know why. Like, I have a, like, a lot of, like people from around that area that I seem to really connect with for some reason. So, um, and we always stayed in touch through the years. Yeah. Yeah. I think we were coming up at the same time, kind of under our other pen names. And like, I think we just shared a lot of information with each other, what was working and what wasn't. Yeah. We kind of batted it around for a few years and didn't do anything with it. And, um, I guess I'd say we were both kind of getting stale writing on our own. And so in 2016, I think we said, like, why don't we, like, let's just give it a try. Who knows? Like, we'll do, I think we committed just to that one series, maybe, that first series. We thought we'll do the Modern Love series and just kind of decide after that's done what we're going to do. And, um, yeah, our 50th book publishes in December, so... Oh my gosh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I am fascinated by people who co-write. So tell us a little bit about like your process and and it, maybe even how it's changed over time. I mean, I would imagine 5 years in now you've really perfected some of this. So how do you how do you do it? You go ahead. Uh, well, it has changed. Originally, we were going to go back back and forth um, as one writing the rough draft every other book, pretty much. But they would do the whole book, you know. Um, and the other one would come back on the back end and edit it. But um, so Piper was still working a part time job at that point. So I was not. So like then I kind of took over. So we agreed that I would take over the rough draft. So we plot everything together, the whole series. How many books? What's going to happen? All the tropes, all the everything together, and then we plot out each storyline, and then I take it from there and I write the rough draft, and then it will go to Piper, and then she carries it all the way through, like two editors, a proofreader, and that whole process herself. Wow! Yeah. yeah. And is that still your process? That still works for you all? It, it is, is right now. Yeah. Yes. 
Yeah. yeah. That is yeah. amazing. That is yeah. amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've, yeah. And do you feel like, so uh, as a writer, of course, now I have a, about a thousand questions, but that, <laughs> um, so when you are not writing together, is your favorite part the drafting rain and the revision mm-hmm. paper? Yeah, I, I really like revising. I need somebody to do. Yeah, this she really likes with. revising. I really like. <laughs> Who will draft my books? Because <laughs> Sarah, right. Sarah also loves revising, right? Sarah's That's like, all oh, I want right. to do. Drafting is the worst. Oh, yeah. Right. yeah, yeah. I still have the need. Like, we'll do some projects, um, not under Piper, but under uh, like our names, where I'll write the lead on because I still have that. Like, I still do want to write the lead on some things, but. I'm more of a steady Eddie writer. Like I'm like two, 3000 words a day and like rain will like pop it off of like, Oh, we need 10,000 words today. We need 15,000 words today. And she's just like, goes <laughs> like, wow. I, I, I can't do that. And we should say you both publish under your, another name, at least, at least one. We did. We used to. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. And is this and now, something you don't want to talk about this? Yeah, but now, oh no, 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 yeah, yeah, no, oh, no, no, we no, just, we just, no, 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 we just kind of stopped because Piper kind of took over, and then we I mean, did. I would um, stop too if yeah. I never had to draft. Draft again. again. <laughs> Sarah's like, wait, Sarah's. Well, you better like, watch out, Piper. She's gonna steal rain away. Somebody <laughs> sold me a false bill of goods on this. <laughs> well, it's it, it's just really fascinating because I think the thing about, I mean, obviously every writer has you know, writes differently, but to then for every co-writer, it just feels like those permutations are even wilder because they really are like, it's just really fascinating to hear how people do it. So, well, it's interesting because sometimes, you know, like you're, if when we're in like the releasing stage, we're like looking for excerpts or something. And like, we both said, we'll read and we have no idea who wrote it. Like, Oh, oh I love that joke. That's funny. Like, I, I don't know if I wrote it or and she, and you know, rain will be like, I don't know if I wrote that, you know? So it just, yeah, sometimes it, I'll go back to the rough draft. I'm like, Oh, yeah. like, did I? Oh no, no. She made it better. You know what I mean? Like, sure. You got having someone to punch up your jokes for you. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. Um, so the series, Jen, you were reading the Baileys too. We, we I was also reading the Baileys. Ended up like fell into the Baileys. Okay, so, I'm gonna tell you why. Go ahead, Jen. When you are approaching a new author with fifty I, books, with fifty books, right? One of the things that I think I am really drawn to is I'm like, okay, the promise of the premise is right there in the title. So if like, it's really like the true litmus test, right? Like you are telling me like, okay, look, I am going to give you the jilted bride. And I was like, sign me the fuck up. So it doesn't surprise me at all because this entire series is just every single title. I did the same thing. I pulled up. Yes. I pulled up your page and I just like, scanned until I found a title that was like exactly oh, the itch I wanted to scratch mm-hmm. at that moment. I love a matchmaker book. I'm always annoyed when the matchmaker is not somehow involved with the person who is getting married. <laughs> it just seems like obviously that's the promise yeah. of the premise of the matchmaker <laughs> romance, you all. <laughs> um, and this was like, it was so delicious. And so I wonder when you come at a book, um, at any of your books because they're all so tropey. Do you say, do you like get together and are you like, this is what I feel? I feel like we should write this. You know, we haven't done this yet. Or what, how do you approach the concept? 
Well, the Baileys, um, that was the first long series we did. So we had been doing three book series. Um, and that, so we thought, let's try a nine book series. There's just more we can do marketing wise once it's all out. Nine siblings um, named after cities, by the way. Exactly. Mm-hmm. There you go. And, uh, we were at Nink and, um, together and we saw Jennifer Lynn Barnes talk, oh, yeah. right? Do her talk. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we've talked about her many times. Yes. And so that's where all those titles came from. We were like, okay, let's match a trope with one of the, um, I can't even recall what the words she says, but like, you know, promise advice, like secrets, that type yeah, of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, um, we just basically plot the whole, like, what tropes do we want? Like, who's going to go first? Like, you know, how are we leading into the next book? Um, and yeah, so that was very intentional and that's our most popular series for sure. So, um, thank you, Jennifer Lynn Barnes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I feel that want. way about Jennifer Lynn Barnes all the time. Cause I feel like listening to her talk really changed the way I think about my books. Yeah. Um, so tell us about what your current, the series that you're working on now and what's coming this month. Uh, okay. We have green, it's our green series, which is actually kind of a spinoff of the Bailey series. It's just taking, um, they had the Bailey said grandma Dory and now we have grandma Ethel who is grandma Dory's like sidekick. I love and it now it's her that. grandchildren that are going to like, that they're trying to fix up and make sure that they get all situated. So this one is Fisher, who is our hot sheriff. And it is a surprise pregnancy from like a one night stand. Um, I'm trying to think of the other trope. The heroine is from actually she's in winning my best friend's girl in the Bailey's. She's the best friend of the heroine in that book. So there's a few surprises, but we can't spoil them. Well, please no, don't. obviously. Yeah. And when is this one out? <laughs> when, when can people get it? We can pre-order it now. What's it called? My unexpected surprise. Yeah, of course. Of course it is. It's <laughs> definitely going to be a baby. I mean, it's not going to be a bag of cash, you know, but <laughs> you feel free to steal that idea for later, though. <laughs> and when is it out? December 14th. Oh, perfect. Soon. That's great timing then. So Piper and Rain, you bid on this episode and we went around and around on what you wanted us to do. So why don't you tell everybody what this episode is, and then um, we'll say goodbye to you, and then people will have the full episode. Uh, we decided on, we we went back and forth, and we were like, we had some ideas for, like, book recs, but then every week we'd listen, it would almost literally be that, that's the thing <laughs> we were going to say. <laughs> so, um, and so we thought, you know what, we chat between ourselves a lot about, like, you know, questions about the industry and everything, so we wanted to do a Q&A and get your thoughts on, you know, some different things in romance landia cool well thank you so much for joining us everybody we will put links and covers of all the books that we talked about and the delicious uh baileys in show notes um and we hope that you will check out piper and rain's books although they are usa today best-selling authors so everybody is already uh, on have. riding the piper rain train trail exactly. train whatever Um, Thank you both so much for your generous donation and for joining us. Thanks for having us. Yes, thank you for having us. How cute were they? So cute. Okay, listen. I feel like it's actually not great that you heard this whole plan about someone else doing all the drafting because I feel like you're going to... Listen, that's (laughs) fucking brilliant. Yeah, I'm taking. I'm taking applications. (laughs) I was 
seriously, seriously. like, yeah, that's amazing. Join me. Draft my books. <laughs> and I will go through and revise your drafts. I just, it is unfathomable to me that uh, there are writers out there who enjoy drafting. <laughs> but um, I assume, I mean, this is the thing, is like you hear about these unicorns <laughs> who can who can deliver a 10,000-word day or a 15,000-word sure. day. like On a consistent so, basis. On a consistent basis. And right. I assume these people just love drafting because... Sure. And don't like also have no like no in no, no internal like, editor, right? Yeah. How are you just <laughs> able to just I bet they don't use the backspace key. And like <laughs> that's bananas to me. What is it? Like all gas, no breaks. Oh my that's God. the title of their I'm next book. So bad at my job. <laughs> but I mean, truly, if I could find a person who would just draft and then let me revise. I mean, we could take over the world. <laughs> Call me if you're out there. <laughs> I was delighted by that. Delighted. For the record, the editorial director of Avon Books listens to this podcast. and She's going to be like, no. <laughs> she knows you're kidding, Sarah. That's what you think. <laughs> That's amazing. That's incredible. I've actually – I I mean, you know, obviously when you do the job for as long as I've done the job, right. like you – You hear people s- – Workflow. You hear, you meet lots of people who co-write, and right. I, that is the first time I've ever heard that. Yeah, it's amazing. It really I draft, is. she revises. <laughs> Brilliant. What's great about it, too, though, what's truly the best is, you can tell that both of them think they are getting the better end of the deal. No, but truly, here's what I'll say about these books. They're so tropey and delicious. So fun. And yeah. I will say, like, I I was not lying when I said I did exactly what Jen did and just scrolled until I found the book with the trope and the title that I wanted to read, and it delivered, and you all will be very happy if you follow our lead on that. Immediately, this book, I I love it. I was was sucked right in. I like, like all of you right now who are, you know, like I'm having a hard time finding books to read. I can't, I'm struggling to get through. Listen, these Bailey books, they they are what the doctor ordered, right? Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> Amazing. All right. Let's do it. Jen is in charge. Okay. Um, do you do we think heroines are held to a higher standard of behavior in romantic fiction stories? And if so, why? One thousand percent because of patriarchy. Next question. <laughs> Yeah, it's true. No, it just sucks. It blows. And here's what I'll tell you. We all have this internalized. Like, the level level of critique that I have for heroines versus heroes, stop it. Like, it's – I know it, too, when I'm doing it, when I'm saying, like, oh, she didn't really register. Like, she was – she wasn't interesting enough. She wasn't smart enough. She was – she wasn't nice enough. Like – the number of times I've received emails from readers who are like, "He, she didn't deserve him. He Ugh. is a murderer. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's what's really interesting for me now that I'm editing is I, I try to be really careful about thinking about that. Like, am I being unfair to her when I talk about, like, behavior or characterization 
or or whatever. And what I find myself doing in those situations, to all the people who are getting edits from me, <laughs> is I find myself saying, like, the reader might respond. And what I'm trying to do there is signal, like, there's nothing wrong with this, but you have to decide, right? Like, this is, look, it's genre fiction. You know, you, this is something you're selling. And so I think you do have to decide, um, you know, is this a moment where the reader is going to, you know, reject this heroine? And then it's, then at least I'm, you know, like flagging, you you get to decide. But yeah, it sucks. I hate it. You think about, I mean, we started this podcast with uh, Cressley's Immortals After Dark series, and we read all 18 of those books. And the visceral response that people have to Sabine yeah. as an unlikable heroine versus the absolute salivation. Is that a word? Salivation? The salivating response that people have to Lothair as a hero is all you really need to know about how readers respond to, you know, heroines versus heroes and holding heroines to a higher standard. I mean, it is... It's rough out here for our heroines. And um, I'm really grateful for people like Andy Christopher who are writing naturally, like, challenging heroines. And I think that Andy's not alone, right? I think there are a number of writers who are writing heroines who are badass and, you know, take no shit these days. And we're seeing more and more of them. And I'm really grateful for it. Yeah. And I guess I would just say, you know, to readers or people out there who are listening who are readers, it, you know, to writers, like, write the characters you need to write. You're going to find the reader for it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when we talked about careless whispers on our best of, um, Sinithia Williams yeah. was like, I really thought people would not like her. And I I loved her. So I think it's really, um, yeah, I think we all know it exists. But I think we just have to keep interrogating our own Internal bias. I have a a meme. You can look down and see it right now. I'll make it the image. And it's this, like, balloon someone's holding, and it just says, sorry about your internalized misogyny. And I save it on my phone because sometimes I'm like. Yeah. (sighs) But, I mean, here's the truth. Like, we all have it. So if you feel, if you're feeling it, um, my, I think the first thing, the first, first thing we can do as readers is check it in ourselves, like when we're instantly like, oh, I didn't like that heroine because whatever. Um, it's useful to ask ourselves like, oh, wait, is that, is that, did I really not like that heroine or did I not like that heroine because like she wasn't ladylike or whatever. Okay, this is a pair. Okay, we'll go on to the next question. Um, this is a pair of questions. I'm going to throw them both out and we can just sort of talk about them together, which is um, what do we think that indie romance is doing right that traditional romance could learn from? And on the flip side, what is traditional romance doing, right, that indie could learn from? Here, here's, you know, this is a really interesting question because I think this is something, I'm, I'm gonna, I am going to say something that I actually really believe in my heart of hearts, which is outside of Twitter, I think most readers don't know or care. Speaking as somebody who has been from the start a traditional author, but has many, many friends who are almost exclusively indie authors, I've just never heard, I've never heard any of my many friends. 
Right. Bad if you write a good romance, you write a good romance, right? So those of us who do pay attention, right? And they're certainly, right, once you're in it, I mean, I, I do think there are, I think this is a really interesting question in like a good way. So I would say for me, I think that indie romance is far, like, can be so responsive to the market because you can bring a book to market so much faster. Yeah, speed is definitely job one. Yes. And look, I will say right now that the I think the hardest thing that indie authors have to face is that pressure to publish. But I still think that, like, if something happens, I mean, look, pe- make fun of it if you want. But those, like, the COVID, the, like, lock-in romances that, like, appeared so fast, that can only happen because indie exists, right? So self-publishing in indie, I think, can really be responsive to the market. They can see, like, a a movie becomes real popular and there's a trope in there that they can mine and they can, like, hit that so much faster, I think that is probably the real big advantage of indie is speed. The second, I think, is risk-taking. That was going to be my answer. I think that indie authors can write the book of their heart or write a book that they, like, they can wake up one morning and go, I want to try. I want to try to write a prison planet romance. I want to try to write a, like, whatever. I'm thinking about Nikki Sloan. Like, every single Nikki Sloan book that is, like, kind of like, oh, I could never do that. You know? I mean, honestly, the I wish I had that kind of freedom in my world. And I don't because I, you know, like, I have to um, – I have a a, a, boss. a boss. I have a boss, right. and right. I when I and not a sexy a series, boss. I go to. <laughs> I'm sorry, I was joking. Not a, not sexy, a boss sexy boss. Just... I mean, she's lovely, but <laughs> it's... <laughs> it's fine. I'm so... joking about a trope I love, but I'm sorry. No, no but I have a boss, and when I come up with an idea, my boss says, "Yes, you have permission to write that idea." And um, now, the truth is, is that I, there is the benefit of traditional is job security in some ways, right? Like, not forever. I don't have job security for the rest of time, but I have, not many people get to, like, wake up every morning and know that they are going to get paid for four books and they know exactly how much they're going to get paid. I mean, there's, there is a certain amount of you know, security in that. I would say the other advantage to indie right now is, I mean, I'm going to just be really honest. I like a, I like a high heat book. And I feel like traditional publishing right now is, especially in the contemporary rom-com market, they are lower heat. And so I find that if I am, you know, if you know exactly what you're looking for, it feels like, and you get into the right, like, Amazon, like, lane, you can find those books. Yeah. And I do feel like because the traditional market is more diffuse, right? Does that make sense? Like, we have Mm -hmm. rom-coms, and it's harder to really know. So I think indie marketing is, I think, the best indie authors know exactly how to sell their product. And people like me that know the the signs (laughs) 
know how to find those books. Yeah. And that that is, you know, appealing. Yeah. But it's also, you know, drinking out of a fire hose, whatever that phrase is. But I also think, like, who knows? Jen knows this, but I've been thinking, you know, we're all thinking about what's going to happen to traditional romance. Like, where where do we go from here in romance? And I think the solution for us all needs to be Indian traditional romance writers need to work together. Like, we need to be on the same side because when that side needs to be the reader's side. The thing that India also has going for it is just like no gatekeeping, right? We've seen lots of great authors who got turned down time and time again at traditional publishing because they were people of color, because they were queer. And so I think it's it's worth it. That is the uh, it's so obvious. I didn't say it first, but I think I would be remiss if I didn't point that out. Like India, just there is literally room for everybody at the table in India. So. You know, it's really just a question of, like, do you want someone else to be involved in charge of all the bits and pieces? Or do you want to be in charge of them? Yeah. Fair. Okay. This is a question I've been asked, but I'm going to tell you this is a hard one for me to talk about because I have strong feelings, which is, how do we see illustrated romance covers playing out over the next five years? Just because I think we're in this quagmire right now where people don't necessarily know what they're getting, right, when they, you know, this is kind of a common complaint. So um, do you have a sense of cover trends, Sarah, from the inside of publishing? Anything? I mean, I don't, honest to God, you guys, sometimes I'm like, I don't even know what we're going to look like five months from now. Um, And I will say, I will explain this. Oh, I have a way of explaining this. In March of last year, I was told in March of 2021, no, what year is it? It's 2021 now. In March, yeah, in March of 2021, I was told, okay, we're so excited. We're moving everybody from mass market paperback to mass max, this new format, um, which is slightly bigger. It's like just a touch wider and a touch, it's like, yeah, just like a, it's like a tiny little amount, but like sure, it probably had something to do with paper size, honestly. Um, we're moving everyone to this. This is the future. Everybody, we're getting rid of mass market. And so Bombshell, big surprise, like Bombshell was going to be the first, like the first month that HarperCollins had put, you know, puts out mass max. Um, and so Bombshell came out in this like new format and it, I actually really like it. I like the weight of it. I like the way that it feels in your hands. Like it feels, it feels good. Well, like two months ago, they announced, change your mind. <laughs> Nobody likes Mass Max. We're going back to mass back to mass market paperback. Literally, like within a year, not even a calendar year, we disco- we found out like we went through a a format change, which we were which everybody was told like this is it. Like this yeah, is the future. We're done. Right. We're never going back. And now we're like going back. So that is so I just want to say like predicting format trim size cover styles like it really does change at the whim of readers um and designers I mean and of Walmart and Target and right? Noble I mean like there are plenty of you know I think readers often don't understand um and this is a going back to this question of like traditional versus indie this is a distinctly traditional way of being, right? For many years, you couldn't get a cover approved without sales in a major publishing house putting their stamp on it. And when I say that, I mean like 
I have a book, uh, Never Judge a Lady by Her Cover, and the heroine, it's a historical, the heroine is wearing trousers on the cover of this book, and I requested that she be wearing trousers on the cover of this book, and Sales was so nervous about doing this because it was so antithetical to traditional historical covers, and they were so concerned that I would lose sales on this book that I had to basically sit in a room with my agent and say, like, I will not blame you if my sales drop because of this cover. And so I just want to – I think that's an important piece of this puzzle. Illustrated covers, I don't – I mean, I think they are clearly here to stay for a while. I don't think they are here to stay for five years. Because I don't think any cover is here to stay for five years. I think what we are about to see is a big shift um, in what we traditionally look at as the clinch. Um, I would not be surprised if five years from now we historicals looked differently than they do right now. Um, but who knows? And I mean, I think I can tell you like, I think it'll be a tighter lens. I think we'll start to see closer, we'll be closer to the characters on covers. I mean, I have a lot of ideas about what that will look like, but I think that um, TikTok is changing the game mm-hmm. every day with what histori- with what covers look like. Um, and I think it's hard to overstate the influence of TikTok right now on publishing. But, you know, three years ago, that was Instagram, right? Now it's TikTok. The reason why illustrated covers are selling so well right now, or at least like have a perception of selling very well right now, is because they are visually exciting. They are bright colors. They have big fonts. Like they feel tactile in a lot of ways, and they look good in photographs. I got to the point at some at some point this year where I was like, who cares what I think? You know, I mean, I have personal preferences. I love a clinch. I will always want to see me personally, right? I will always want to see people and their faces, whether they be, you know, illustr- I mean, you know, old 80s covers were illustrated, right? It's just a different style of illustration. And, you know, and so part of me is like, you know, what goes around comes around. I I really feel like I, I just am, am, you know, who knows what the next big thing will be. I feels like there's sort of a clinch to an object to a, you know, co- you know. So who knows? Maybe we'll get back around to buttons and and boutonnieres. <laughs> yeah, like those old, you know, garwoods or whatever. All right, so now we have each have like a I have an editing question and you have a writing question. Oh yes, let me ask you an editing question. I have it in. Okay, there you go, Jen. What are some things that are easy fixes that you see creep up in a writer's manuscript over and over again? I know. I was like, at first, I didn't know how to answer this, and then I was like, oh, timeline. I feel like one of my jobs as an editor, and you know, is to really kind of keep track of the the progress of time. You know, if you said that that happened a week ago and then that was a Tuesday and now it's Thursday, right? Like, so kind of keeping track of the timeline of events in in your book. And this is something that I think um, is very easy to lose track of in, in the drafting and editing process, 
right? And And, confirm. (laughs) Right? Because it's just, of course, it's super easy. Like, you write a scene later, and then you decide it belongs in a better place, and you, you just pick it up and move it. But now the timeline's out of whack. So one of the things that I often do in my editing is I will, like, literally, like, kind of make a timeline and say, you know, this was out of alignment with this. And, you know, and I would say one thing I've noticed especially is this is really common in people's backstories. So, you know, your main characters are 30 and it's a second chance romance. They've been apart for a decade and then you've given them like a huge raft of things that they've done. And I'm like, how did they do that when they were 26? Before sending something off to an editor really think about that timeline. That is true. I have, I'm, that is a big failing of mine. So, so here is a question for Sarah. Um, are you a plotter, a pantser, or somewhere in between? I can't start a book until I know how it ends. And that doesn't just mean like, oh, and they end up together. <laughs> and they live happily ever after is not enough. Um, if you've read about any books of mine, you know that um, I really like to end a book with like a big set piece ending often. And that means that uh, I need that set piece ending to be clear to me before I can start. So, and then I don't plot at all. Yeah. <laughs> then I just like <laughs> work towards Once that I moment. know the end, I just drive through the woods, like in toward that light. And hopefully I get there. Got it. Okay. Oh, I like this first one. We're nosy. Jen, what are some authors you think haven't gotten the attention they deserve for their work? Hmm. I mean, I feel like Fated Mates has tried really hard to rectify I know. This. I'm like, we talk about everybody. And I sort of, yeah. I always feel a little bad naming authors because I'm like, I want them, I don't want authors to think like we think that nobody's paying attention to them, but I'm, I appreciate this. Yeah. Like, here's what I think. I think Lorraine Heath should be on right. every bookshelf. Anybody who claims to like historicals. If you haven't read Lorraine Heath, you are doing it wrong. I think if you love Bridgerton, if you love Julia Quinn, and you haven't read Julianne Long, you're doing it wrong. I think that um, if you love slightly edgier, uh, like, badass heroines, and you haven't read Diana Quincy, you are doing it wrong. I just added, like, in total, like, a hundred books to your TBR. So. You, you really did. Okay. I feel like I am going to, um, I'm going to confess something on the podcast. I don't think I've ever really talked about before, which is I love a motorcycle club romance. Oh boy. She's telling the truth. It's truth telling here. This is what Piper and Raymond were hoping for. This is while well, you, you're getting it, everybody. And I feel like like, they're so different from my life that maybe that's, like, the comfort of them. And the the way that I started reading um, these books was Joanna Wild has a series called the Reaper's Motorcycle Club series. And I, you know, they're, they're probably 10 years old now, and I just don't really hear people talking about them anymore. And I don't know, like, they really work for me. Um, so I really like Joanna Wilde. I think she's just like, she knows what she's doing and she's like doing it well. That's like a real, like almost like a comfort read to me. Okay. So I was recently reading a series, a motorcycle club series. Oh, okay. Amelia Shea is the author and the series I like is called Ghost Town East. 
And the thing that I liked about this series is there was one, I kind of had this epiphany about why I think I do like reading motorcycle club romances. And in this one book, um, the book was, maybe I'm just going to talk really explicitly about this one book. Fine. It's called, I think, The X. And what happens is she is, she works at like a convenience store. Her parents own a convenience store. And like, it's a goal of her family to essentially like go to a restaurant nice enough that they would have to like make reservations. Like they've never been able to afford that. And like, I worked in a convenience store when in a gas station when I was in high school. And there was something about like that, like a truly like middle class, like lower middle class, whatever you want to call that. I don't know the right word that feels so rude, where people really are like kind of struggling to make ends meet. And I feel like that can be very hard to find in romance. I, and I think that's what it is about a motorcycle club romance that really kind of speaks to me is these are people who are really scrapping. They really have to try to make ends meet. And so much of romance, and I, I don't have a problem with the billionaires or whatever, but I think that's why that's my secret. So Amelia Shea and Joanna Wilde are going to be my answers for that. Nice. Um, you know who I wish people were would pay a little more attention to? I mean, and she's a taboo romance writer. I actually have two. I think Saffron Kent deserves more attention. Um, and I, I don't know if she gets a lot of attention from taboo writers, like from taboo right. readers, or if it's just that, like, because she writes taboo, like, People are quieter about her, but I think she's great. I think she's a really excellent writer. Um, and if you like Taboo, you sh- we've talked about her before, and you should go check her out. Um, and then I also think this is also Taboo, but um, QB Tyler is great. Mm, yeah. And I would love to see her on more lists. Yeah. Yeah, she's great. All right. So that's good. Uh, Jen, what are your top five tropes? Competence porn. Uh, enemies to lovers, like everybody. Um, anything with, like, gambling, blackmail, you know, I like that, like, I don't like really dark romance is too much for me, but if there's some, like, hint of illegality, I will read that. Um, I really, look, I will, everyone has, I think, the power dynamic they can read and they can't read. I will read the shit out of any boss assistant book you put in front of me. And based on my, uh, like, picking up the the Jilted Bride or whatever book today, I really, a, a woman backed into a corner. I mean, I don't know if that's yeah. a trope, but I will read any book with a woman who really starts off at a real terrible moment in her life because I love to see them, like, kick ass on the way up. And uh, so here are mine. Enemies to lovers, obviously. Um, celebrity romances. But here is my qualification on celebrity romances. One of them has to be a normal person. A normal person. Two, yeah. two celebrities is fine, but it's not like kink for me. As good. Snowden. I really like a forced proximity romance. I love a road trip. That's also because of forced proximity, but also a little bit only one bed. I like that too. And then, of course, he is poison to everyone but her. Which... <laughs> Which is very common. <laughs> These are like, at the end, we're going to give our most specific trope. 
back to heroin backed into a corner is on no trope list everywhere. He's poisoned everyone but her. Our. Here's the thing. He is poison to everyone but her is grumpy sunshine. Like there yeah. are like it's basically sure. all tropes. Sure. All tropes can be distilled into like three tropes. <laughs> and that is all I will say about that. And someday we will do an episode where we deconstruct that. But like he is poison to everyone but her is like the is grumpy sunshine to the like extreme. Right. Absolutely. Okay. What are some tropes you don't enjoy that much? Okay. Now listen, everybody, I'm going to say these. Please don't take it personally. I'm real fucking tired of fake engagement. There. I said it. Oh, I'm so glad you said it first. (laughs) I'm like, you said it first. I'm sorry. You guys, Jen said it, not me. Fine. I own it. (laughs) I'm so fucking tired of your fake engagement Listen, it's hard. There are a lot out there right now. Can we just be into something else for a little bit? Like, he is poison to anyone but her. <laughs> to everyone but her. Wait, let me say that again. Can we just be into something else? Like, just for a little bit. Like, he is poison to everyone but her, for example. Like I would like to grow those. tired of that. <laughs> you know, I do think it. Honestly, I wouldn't have said that a couple months ago. because, Or a couple years ago, maybe. Right? <gasps> you know what other trope I really love? See, this is hard. Because I love all tropes. Sure. Um. No, you I, don't. Secret baby. Um, Sorry. Um, I I'll really love, uh, and I know I'm so basic, you guys. I know. Don't write to me. <laughs> but I really love, like, brother's best friend. Sure. Like, it's a classic I for a reason, I love it. And I know it's patriarchy and wrong, but I love it. Shut up. I love it. All right, so sorry, I'm going to continue uh, on with sorry. things I don't like sure, while I'll you just ruin keep my vibe. <laughs> you're ruining my vibe. I was on the yuck train, and you're trying to yum the yuck. I don't appreciate <laughs> it. Uh, listen, I don't like I don't like secret baby or hidden baby or surprise baby or baby. I don't. I'm just going to say it. You don't like books with babies in them. Wait, this is, I'm sure I've told this story on the podcast before, but I'm going to tell it again. One day I was reading a romance with a baby on the cover, a man and a baby. And Mr. Reed's romance said, what's that? And I was like, well, I'm reading this book. And he's like, is that a romance? And I was like, it literally was like, there's everyone in the universe would have understood this is romance. And I was like, yeah. And he's like, but there's a baby on the cover. <laughs> and he said, I don't think you have told this there's story. nothing romantic about babies. And I was like, <laughs> that's why husband, we that's love why each we're other. married. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I just don't. I have one that you hate. Oh yeah, tell me. You hate teacher student. Oh yeah, well that's because my job. But you love I it. D- I don't hate teacher student at all. QB Tyler, I mentioned you earlier. I see you. <laughs> Saffron Kent, I mentioned you earlier. I see you. <laughs> I think love triangles real hard to pull off unless they're all gonna end up in bed together. Also in a only in YA. I mean, get out of my pool in romance. Yeah. There was one adult romance that it worked for me by... Was it Lisa Kleypas? Because she wrote one. It was not. Well, Lisa Kleypas can do whatever I mean, she wants. Kleypas Sarah. can do whatever the hell she wants. She can. It's fine. Derek Craven, for example, he is poison to everyone but her. <sighs> <laughs> Sam Reynolds, maybe? That's not right. All right. Well, your sample can show notes, everybody. You keep I yeah. don't love a friends to lovers romance, really at all. I'm not wild about babies in general, but I will read a secret baby. It just has to be, you know, a secret baby in a thatched hut 
yeah. in a medieval England. Look, there aren't that many tropes that are there. And I will say this. I know. I'm like, I like them all. There is literally no trope I will not read. Oh, I mean, I won't read teacher-student, but that's because of, like, my job. It's just I mean, weird. wait, I should also qualify. Like, teacher-student is not, like, I don't, an high school sure. teacher-student is unacceptable. But, like, college, like, professor-student, i It's fine. Of course, do your thing. You know what else I don't really like? It's weird because I like a motorcycle club romance. I don't like a cowboy romance. There. Fine. Yeah, I don't love a spy. We know that That's about true. Me. We know that. God, look at, we can talk about the things we like and don't like all day. We're ridiculous. Except here's the truth, Jen. I can't really talk about the things I don't like all day because I only, like, it's, uh, would I, I, would I mean, like, I don't like a spy, but I love that Not Alone book. See? See how it goes? You know, I don't like a secret baby, but I love those Naima Simone books. See? That's true. I don't like Friends to Love Her. I love that Naima Simone book. It's basically Naima Simone. I'll read whatever she writes. So. Fair. Fair. Listen. That's we just it. love romance novels, everybody. I know. We're talking about basic. It's fine. I love it. What are tropes you'd like to see more people write? And my answer is, he is poisoned to everyone but her. <laughs> God, you know what's funny? I'll tell you what. I'd also like to see more celebrity romances uh, with plain Jane. Like, here's what I, I th- you know, I fucking love. I love about celebrity romances. And this is me. Like, this comes, this is a deep deep installed button from my childhood from like old school historicals where she is I mean they never were plain looking they were always they always thought they of were course. not beautiful but were like the most beautiful person in London so let's just whatever on that but the point is that I just part of why I love a celebrity romance with a plain Jane and it's obviously I want to he is the hero is the celebrity and the heroine mm-hmm. is the plain Jane heroine and what I love about that is I love the mythology and the promise of like this person who is absolutely like bananas superstar amazing sees you for who you are and thinks you are bananas superstar amazing. Yes. And I know that that is not a popular thing to sort of admit to loving these days, but I don't care. I love it. And I want to see that. I would read that trope over and over and over and over again forever. Okay. I would like, here's what I would like. I would like fake relationships to go away and be replaced with waking up married. (gasps) That's a good one, too. (laughs) Listen, it's you woke so up married. Fun. You woke up married. Great. Very God, good. I love that. Very shit. good trope. Kylie Scott. Yes. Kylie Scott. Jenny McQuiston. Uh-huh. There's a great Casey McQuiston? Who's Jenny? Oh, Jenny Gen- McQuiston. Jennifer McQuiston. Yeah. Right. There's a great one by Carol it's called Carson. What happened in Scotland? Yeah, there's a great one by Carol Carson called the God, they wake up married. It's like the lieutenant's secret marriage or whatever. Oh, I have another one, too. I want more soccer romances, like starring Roy Kent. Well, yeah, sure. Right. I mean, that's good stuff right there. The Captain's Vegas Vows. Oh, it's so good. All okay, right. here's here's what else I would like. I would like partners in crime. If you two different people have to team up to fucking make something happen, and even better if there's some, like, maybe we're wacky hijinks ensue. Right? I feel like a lot of my favorite IAD books were that. I feel like I just realized that in four seasons of Faded Mates, 
I have never said the name Julie James. How is that possible? Possible? No. It cannot be. Holy shit, we gotta do a Julie James book. Yeah. We gotta do, we gotta do a Julie James book. All right. Come Put a pin on. in it, everyone. All right. See? That this can't is... be possible, but I feel like you just said like teaming up and like we gotta That's do Julie that. James. Okay. All right, we're gonna do it. Everybody, it's gonna happen. Look, thank God for these questions. Okay. I, we're rectifying things. <laughs> we're burning bridges and also building them. <laughs> okay, now we are going to end the episode with a couple of book rec questions from Piper and Rain. We've been doing it. I feel like we've been doing it. Of course, we can't stop ourselves. Okay. Um, I haven't read a lot of contemporary new adult books lately, but I'm always looking for good ones if you have any recommendations. Huh. Do I have any so new adult is just young people yeah. in contemporaries, like early 20s. Mm-hmm. Listen, I'm going to tell you my current problem with this. Little romance just went away to college. <laughs> and now it's weird for me. I'm sorry. Co- yeah, it's like usually college age. So th- I have a lot of I have a lot of professor student ones, but I'm not sure that they're going to. That's not what we're really looking that's for. That's not right? what people are looking for. <laughs> Mila Finelli. Mafia mistress. Yeah. She is 18 and gets married off to the head of the mafia in Italy. It's, listen, it's hot and it's great. And I love it. Would we say Run Posey Run is new adult? Maybe. I feel like Kate Wells, actually, I would say a lot of those books are in that area. I just recently discovered with Kate Wells Kate Wells just wrote a book called The Tyrant Alpha's Rejected Mate. And this is like faded mates, but one of them rejects the other one. And I didn't realize that this was like a whole subtrope until recently. Now, they it's not new adult because she's like 30. And she like essentially figures out at the beginning of this book that he's her mate. So maybe this could go for the next question was like, I was like enemies to lovers. So anyway, she is their werewolves. It's a werewolf pack. And she is... Um, figures out that he is her mate and says he's like the, you know, the head of the clan or whatever. And she's like, you're my mate. And he's like, no, I'm not. And rejects her. And it is, oh, I don't know, super duper angsty. And I liked it. All right. Yeah. Any other second chance romances or enemies to lovers recommendations? um... You know, I'm going to go back to this. I'm going to go back to the Cynthia Williams. Series. So this series is called Jackson Falls, um, and it really has everything. I talked about Careless Whispers on our Best of podcast, but the fourth book in the series, Foolish Hearts, is a second chance romance. Um, So I think this is like a real tropey, fun series in general. Um, The first one starts off with the younger sister getting together with her older sister's ex-husband. So it was delicious. And and then Careless Whispers has that enemies to lovers. So I really think that whole series has a lot of those things that you're looking for, everybody. So, I mean, I think the best second chance love story that I've read recently is Adriana Herrera's One Week to Claim It All, um, which is like, you know, they were together and now they're not together. And there's like <laughs> an uncle and a media empire and a telenovela star and like it's just beautiful like sexy 
soapy, delicious uh, presents. No, is it a presents? It's a category romance. It's a Harlequin, and it's terrific. Yeah. And it it's is a the desire. Perfect, it is the perfect morsel of a book for reading during the holidays. You know, Jen and I have said multiple times that we really love a novella during the holidays. Um, this isn't a novella, but it's short and sweet. And there is, well, it's sexy and short. And then there is um, actually the sequel to it. The next in the series is out too, which is called Just for the Holidays, I want to say. I think so. Yeah, it's got a great cover. Right. Um, and it has a beautiful cover with snow on it. Um, and so you can read both of those. Uh, let me think. I want to talk about Lily Riley's The Assassin and the Libertine because we don't talk enough about paranormals on this show. <laughs> I think, Ironic, I but think true. We, yeah. we, uh, we could do better is what I'm, say- is what I'm saying about this. Um, but So Lily Riley um, wrote this book called The Assassin and the Libertine. It came out, I don't know, a few months ago. Um, the heroine is a vampire assassin, and the hero is a vampire in a reimagined French Revolution era like Versailles, um, where uh, vampires exist and people know it. And it's pretty delicious. And she's, you know, they're, they, like, somebody's been murdered. Like, they're, they, a woman has had her throat ripped out by a vampire. And this assassin is, like, here hunting for her killer. And there's this vampire dude who's, like, the attache to the king from the vampire, like, horde or I whatever. I love that shit, yeah. It's, like, it's a lot of, like, there's political intrigue and also, you know, blood sucking. <laughs> okay. I Our last question before we wrap up, because we're both, I don't know, I'm tired and it's two days before Thanksgiving, is then we're recording yep. this, is yep. um, do we have any recommendations for a young adult? Um, and here's what I'm going to say. We did a whole YA episode last summer with Nicola Yoon. It is a great episode. I Even if you are not a big YA reader, I think we talked about a lot of really interesting stuff. She was an amazing guest. So you should check that out. But this gives me an opportunity to talk about what I think is the greatest YA novel ever written. It's called The Disreputable History of Frankie Landau Banks. Have I ever talked about this book before on the podcast? And no, I don't author- think so. Okay, the author's name is E. Lockhart. And I used to sell this to kids. This is not a recent book. This book came out in 2009. And when, when it came out, what I would tell people is, I would tell the kids, my students, because I teach middle school, I would say, or their their parents, because, you know, back when Twilight was really big, there was this huge concern about how, like, passive Bella was. And I really think that this book was trying to be uh, like an antidote to Passive Bella. And in this book, Frankie Landau Banks, who is our heroine, goes off to boarding school. She's a freshman in high school. And she is real excited because her father and her older brother went to this boarding school. And they were in this secret society. And she's like, I'm going to be in the secret society. And she gets there and she discovers that only boys are allowed in the secret society, which, of course, is garbage. But the way these boarding school goes. So then she figures out that this cute boy that she's dating is like the head of the secret society. Only she thinks she's he is super shitty at it. So she secretly takes over the secret society. Because, of course, it's a secret society. Nobody knows who's supposed to be in charge. So she essentially, like, wiggles her way into this thing. Perfect. And 
I don't know that I would call it like a romance, like there's this romance arc, but clearly she's not going to end up with this Yahoo who's too dumb to run the secret society. But it is a great, great book, and I love it, and I still love it, and I love to give it to students. So if you've never read this book, it's a delight. I love it. Um, can I just recommend Rachel Hawkins's Royals series, which is... Listen, romance novels should be silly and fun and full of ridiculousness, and this series delivers on all all counts. The um, first book is called Royals, and the heroine, Daisy, is <laughs> a 16-year-old from Florida, and her sister is um, about to get engaged to the crown prince of Scotland. Like, the whole concept has been... Like, the royal family has been, like, retconned as, like, there's, like, Scotland is its own thing now, and so it has its own royal family. Um, So her older sister is about to be engaged to, um, like, the future king of Scotland, and his younger brother is basically tasked with teaching her, teaching the heroine, like, how to be a lady. (laughs) I love it in the spotlight, except he's like rakish and adorable. And it's just really fun. And yeah, it's really, really fun. And it has, and the second book in the series is um, called Her Royal Highness. And um, it's a queer two girls um romance and it is really 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 fun and it's roommates to lovers love it love it well thank you to piper and rain for coming on the podcast for asking us all these really fun questions we hope that you enjoyed this smorgasbord of us yammering on it was all banter i mean banter. banter it was all banter and you know what i liked it I mean, me too. Eric is going to be like, ugh, the two of you. So much. (laughs) Um, It's uh, Thanksgiving week here at Faded Mates, and we have senioritis. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. Exactly. You can find us on Instagram at Faded Mates Pod and at Twitter at Faded Mates. You can check show notes for everything you would need under the possible sun about romance at fadedmates.net. Next week, we will be back with another trailblazer. Ooh, Bam. that's fun. I didn't know that. <laughs> now you do. <laughs> and then we're reading Nalini Singh. And then we're reading Nalini Singh. Caressed by Ice. Is that the title? That's the one you picked. Ooh, it's my favorite. It's not my favorite favorite. <laughs> it's an early favorite. One everyone can read without a lot of other stuff. Listen, right. I'm seeing a lot of news about Monroe, too. La Cressley's posting an Instagram a lot. I'm like, listen, she's she's spent a lot of time on Instagram is what I'm saying. Well, I don't, so I didn't know. It's good. January I guess I better go 22nd, you guys. It's happening. Pre-order yeah, now. Yeah, I'm, I'm taking off, and we're going to just read all day on we're a live Zoom. Everyone like can join us. We're going to We're going to uh, we're gonna, we are definitely gonna do a live up though. Sarah, I'm gonna fly to New York. <gasps> oh my God. Can I just, listen, can I just fly to New York and we'll just like read we'll in the same sit, room together? We'll just sit quietly together and read. I'm Amazing. booking a flight right now. Uh, we'll get Eric to just set up a, cam- a, li- a live webcam. We'll be like peregrine falcons. <laughs> <laughs> like the eagle cam, only it's the faded mates cam. <laughs> yeah.
Stop it. I love my life so much. Have a great one, everybody. Bye, guys.